0: All right. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Rightfully So. Uh, This week, the topic is, what is the difference between analysis and observation? The role of critical inquiry in writing. Um, I know from my personal experience as an instructor, this is a challenging topic both to explain and I think to understand just based on what I've seen um, from my students. Um, I, I think the desire is there to understand um, but I think it's it's a complicated thing because in some ways we're trying to explain how to think, <laughs> um, and boy, that is a tough nut to crack. Um, I keep sort of changing my approach to it, uh, thinking about you know how can we express this in like simple uh, ideas or concepts, but then also sort of falling back on um, more traditional explanations, things like talking about like inductive versus deductive reasoning and so on. So the question I sort of want to put out there, um, I guess, as a starting point is um, maybe to to understand the difference between analysis and observation, because the thing that I see the most in student papers is observation, Um, that they're identifying important elements, but they sort of stop there. So what is the difference between analysis and observation?
1: So when you say observation, I think of lots of things we ask students to do. So I think that's part of the issue. Um, so summarizing, defining, describing, like those are all part of observation. Um, but analysis is different. And the the way I try to present it is that with analysis, you're really taking a closer look at certain pieces and how they're working together. Um, and that looks different, obviously, depending on what you're analyzing. So that's where it gets complicated um and there's different like criteria or categories that you can use to analyze right like so there's a rhetorical analysis where you're using rhetorical appeals but that's not the only type of analysis we do right like so it looks a little different but all of them are like this closer examination of how they're working together like how these details are coming together but that's i feel like that's only part of the definition right like
2: there's more to it that's true i feel like my my new or what what i feel like has kind of been working for me and explaining it is is taking that observation and then saying my my kind of go-to comment now especially on essays is why is that significant so you just pointed out something you just pointed out you know that here this persons using imagery here the you know here we see uh, an appeal to pathos or pathos and then you say why is that significant so Why does that, how does that fit into the bigger picture of, you know, this, either if it's rhetorical analysis, this writer's purpose, or, you know, if they're doing something with literature or whatever, you know, it's just, just go into how that connects to you know, the main idea of that particular piece and, and how that's significant. So I feel like that has kind of helped me, um, especially even getting them to come up with that assertion for, for a body paragraph. You know, I say that, cause sometimes they'll just start with a statement, that's a fact. And then I say, why is that significant? You know, here's where we can get to your assertion. So I feel like that's kind of been my go-to uh, way to kind of clarify how we move from observation to analysis. Um, the other part is actually, bill, when you when we were um, in grad school, you did a you did a kind of mini little lecture, or maybe you were, it was just a discussion that we were having in one of our classes. And you said that that one way that you describe analysis is it's an opinion based on fact. And I like, was like, Oh, that's a good way to put that. So I've been kind of using that as my start for describing analysis. Um, and then, like I said, then I try to kind of move it forward with that, but I felt like that was a nice way that you kind of simplified it. Um, you know, just to get the basis of, of what analysis is.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, I was about to say great minds think alike, because the way I've been describing it in class lately has been analysis is observation plus significance and literally writing it like a math equation on the board, like analysis is equal to observation plus significance. Because I'm like, to me, all analyses, and, and this is sort of I think what Jeanette was kind of alluding to was all analyses are basically rooted in observation. You have to observe, right? What, and at some level, um, you have to make an observation. But the thing that I think is often most missing is, is that significance. Why is this particular observation noteworthy? Um, Why did you sort of fixate on that? Like, why did you feel that was like worth writing down? Um, And I feel like that significance piece is the, is just, it's so difficult, right? Um, To to have the level of self-awareness to understand why you're sort of fixating on these things, right? For some people, it's fairly easy. Like I have a strong Mm -hmm. enough internal dialogue that I'm kind of having this conversation with myself as I'm doing the analysis, like, oh, this reminds me of this, and oh, I, I think the author is referring back to something they said earlier, and and you know, I just sort of like have this constant conversation with the text and myself, and I think with students they're not as experienced, and so they're struggling to make that connection, um, and so they get to observation and they go, well, I observed the thing, therefore I have analyzed it because I've noted all of these weird little esoteric details about the thing, and I'm like. Nobody cares, and they're a little bit put off by that. Like, what do you mean nobody cares? I'm like, this is just observation. I could have made the same observations, right? I've read your whole essay and I have no idea why. Like, what was I supposed to learn? What was the outcome? What was the, the point of all of this? And, and, and I've started expressing that um, lately as the question to the students of, what is the purpose of your analysis? What is it you're trying to demonstrate? Because um, again, it's such a, such a tough nut to crack. Like, it's been a point of frustration for me lately. I'm like, I, I want them to get there they've taken one step in that direction. I can't figure out how to get them to take that next step. Um, and then part of it has been introducing the idea of reasoning, inductive versus deductive reasoning, trying to sort of explain how do you think. So I... Um,
2: I will say kind of based on kind of what you're saying about their, their struggle to get to that point, I do wonder if part of it is they feel like there's a right answer And they're afraid to that they're going to be wrong so they just don't even go there and that's where i i struggle because i try to explain to them you know your however you reacted to this particular thing you know that we're asking you to respond to your reaction you know you got that reaction for a reason because that writer was appealing to you in a certain way you know so so it's kind of like i try to encourage them to trust their instincts that they they can understand the bigger picture of something it's not like it's some hidden message and however they reacted to it is probably what the writer was trying to achieve so go with how you reacted and then sometimes that can lead you to the bigger purpose of that thing you know and sometimes that can help them to kind of get that courage to make an assertion. And I feel like part of it too, is I say, you know, and it's, it's an assertive assertion, you know, like be assertive in your opinions. Don't just kind of, well, the writer could be doing this. I say, no, say the writer did do this and here's how the effect that it had, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So I wonder if it's partly the hesitancy of being wrong. Mm.
1: I wonder if that's related to what Bill was talking about before we started recording, where he was <laughs> saying that the middle is missing. And that, that seems to be like, as a writing instructor, true. Like where there's the beginning, the observation, and then something at the end where it's almost like, here's what we've come to even, but the middle is missing. Is that, I don't know, Bill. Is yeah, that- I
0: think, yeah, I think that's, that's my quandary because when I do see students approaching what I believe to be an, a true analysis, most often what I see is an observation followed by they're, they're coming to some sort of conclusion and they're skipping the part in the middle to demonstrate how they arrived at that conclusion. And it's, and it's some of those things where I'm like, Oh, you're so close, right? Because it's a sort of a broad general observation but then it's a reasonable conclusion that they've come to. And I'm like, give me the specific example and then explain how that example is proof of your conclusion. And then I kind of go back to, you know, we do this whole lesson on logical fallacies and talking about like having a premise and how the premise needs to support your conclusion. And I'm like, right now, there's nothing to support your conclusion other than your base observation. And even that's debatable because it's sort of context dependent, right? And so I'm like, you, you kind of need to do the work and ex- demonstrate to your reader how you sort of arrived at this conclusion. And I find myself giving that feedback a lot. Um, and, I, and I think that piece in the middle is again, like they, they're not sure how to explain the reasoning because honestly, I feel like it's, it's subconscious for a lot of them. And they maybe don't have the self-awareness to understand how they arrived at that conclusion. So I think I'm asking a very difficult thing of them. Um, honestly it's something that i i when i was an undergrad i'm sure i arrived at conclusions sort of subconsciously like read something and sort of because I, I say i'm an intuitive learner and i think i arrived at the the right the quote right um for those at home who aren't watching the video i'm using air quote fingers uh the right uh the right answer for that particular analysis. But didn't quite understand how I arrived there until I found I had to sort of like go back in and fill those gaps, and that was definitely the case with my master's thesis. Like my thesis chair was like, "How did you get here? Right? Like, on no uncertain terms. Like, you can't just make this claim and walk away. You got to finish that thought. Like, go back in and fill that gap." Um, and at least I could, right? Because I didn't realize I was sort of making an unbounded assertion. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's really also, you know, the challenge of how do you teach that in 16 weeks? I feel like I feel like this is this is an academic career kind of a, a challenge, um, and I'm not even sure we can resolve it in 20 minute podcast either. But I feel like I want to talk about it.
1: When you were just talking about that, it made me think of one of the first undergraduate assignments I had as a freshman in college, and it was I don't remember what class it was. Even it must have been something English or writing related because we the professor played a clip from Talking Heads, um, and it was the song Flowers, and we were supposed to analyze the lyrics, and I know I arrived at some point to the conclusion that it was really about, like, nature, and, uh, you know, like, how (laughs) nature was being destroyed, and, you know, like, I got that, like, that part actually didn't take too much thought, but to actually defend and talk through why or how I knew that was the case like through looking at the lyrics and kind of going okay so when David Byrne sang and I don't have the lyrics in front of me but you know like that that points at you know like I know there's a part about like the freeways right like and then like lots of cement you know and you know that um that the song is really like about saying there's none of that um even though there's lots of that so it's that whole thing of like you almost have to. It, there's layers to analysis like you you have to get it on the sort of big picture level of like where you arrive at but then it's not linear like you almost have to go backwards and then look at it again um so I don't know that's the that's the experience that I think of because I was a freshman at the time and it was hard um and I feel like with analysis though I can't shut it off now that I've <laughs> learned what well that that works you know like I know the two of you also do this like where it's like you can't stop thinking about something and like how it's in relation and why that is like either off or like really working or you know like that sort of it, it does get easier so I think that's the good news
2: I love that and I think it kind of also implies that there's layers not just to analysis but layers to observation like you know you have to go back and look at it again you know once you kind of get the okay i've read this piece and here's what i understand and i'm pretty sure that was the main idea you got to go back again to get those details and you know it's kind of like um you know sometimes in literature you know it's like you don't really notice the foreshadowing until you've read the whole thing and then you go back right so it's kind of like you have to revisit you have to go back and do that again and i think part of that layering of the observation is kind of the struggle because they want to just get it, you know, do it in one sitting, get it done, you know, move on. And they, it's kind of that eagerness to, to move past the assignment almost that I think um, maybe kind of traps them within just, you know, kind of basic observations rather than moving it forward to the analysis part.
0: It's kind of funny. I I keep uh, there's a common theme that seems to be running through all of our podcasts, which is this takes time. You can't one and done it. I'm I'm sure none of the if a student listens to this, I'm sure none of them want to hear that. But the common refrain seems to be it's not one and done. It's it it takes time. It needs to be developed. Um, it's definitely a skill. Uh I, I find that I'm I'm increasingly generous with my grading over time as as I sort of rein rein in my expectations, right? Um, and realize that not everybody has spent seven years like refining these skills to the point where they don't get Jeanette's right, they don't get turned off. You know, you go out to the movie with friends and you walk out and you're immediately like. Now, you know, uh, as a villain, Thanos seems really well-developed. He's very nuanced, whereas, you know, traditionally in Marvel Phase 1, the villains were very one-dimensional. They were just bad. My friend's like, dude, shut up, right? It was a Marvel movie. Just, it was cool. They were shooting each other with lasers. It was awesome. I'm like, no, but I thought they could have developed Ant-Man's character more. He seems to be just sort of like this comic. <laughs> I
2: feel so, like um, that's perfect yeah. because I feel like they, it's this, they, they see that as overthinking and exhausting and, you know, that's putting in too much effort (laughs) and it's like, but it's kind of fun when you, I don't know, like I find analysis fun. So it's, it's neat to kind of take it to that level. Um, but I feel like that's kind of, like I said, maybe that's the resistance there is, you know, that, that takes a lot of effort that, they might be wrong. Let's not go there. You know, I've
1: heard that a lot. Like I'm over, I feel like I'm overthinking or overanalyzing and I'm like, "Mm -mm." this, you know, like (laughs) it takes that, you know, like it is that, you know, and you try on theories like, okay, so, you know, why is Thanos this perfect villain, you know, or, you know, (laughs) not, you know, and it's sort of like, hmm, you know, maybe I need to rethink that because X, Y, and Z, I don't know.
0: You know, Carrie, you were using in our sort of like pre-podcast chat, you talked about like the gym and working out and, and whatnot. And I feel like analysis is kind of like a muscle, right? And we've been doing it for a long time with reading analyses and, and making our own and defending both- them. And it's like going to the gym, right? And we're doing our squats and we're doing our deadlifts and we're doing our bench presses. And, and so for us, like a simple analysis of like a song is kind of like no big deal. It's like a nice, easy pace on the treadmill. Whereas these students, they haven't worked out those muscles. They haven't developed that skill.
2: And so it feels like just a flat <laughs> out hard. 10 mile an hour sprint. know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I got it. Right?
0: Uh, I mean, you'll get there, right? Um, The, the trick is to keep practicing though. And, and I think... From an instructor point of view, that's one of the things that I find sort of challenging is, is seeing students who who meet that little bit of resistance and then just decide like, ah, it's "Not I'm just done. I'm, I'm I'm done engaging with this. I'm not interested."
2: Well, that's something actually that I got to credit to Jeanette because she was the one who originally gave me that analogy. Was the because <laughs> um, uh, she would talk about how she tries to describe. Um, you know, you were talking about trying to describe, uh, you know, what we're doing as teachers, as like a coach, and this is a skill, it's like a sport, you know, we're going to teach you how to hold the bat. We're going to teach you where to stand, but it's still up to you to practice the swing and to, you know, and to get used to it. Right. And so I've started to use that quite a lot with my students where I'm like, critical thinking is a skill. It takes practice. It's a muscle that you have to work out. And if just like going to the gym, if you're not working it out, then when you go to use that skill, it's going to be a lot harder for you. So, you know, so it's more of a matter of saying, you know, you can't skip the workouts all the time just because you don't feel like it. And uh, I'd rather do other things, you know, then that's when you're going to struggle when it comes time to actually doing the workout. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big runner. And if I take a week off, that first run really is the worst, (laughs) but if I'm running every day, it feels like it's no problem. So it's kind of, I think it speaks to the fact that critical thinking itself is like a muscle that we have to continuously work out. And that's when we, that's when analysis comes easier. I think um, if we can, if we can continually try and practice it. Um, And that's, I think the part that Again, they don't want to do, again, that theme that's trending through all of our podcasts, it takes time to practice that, that uh, you know, exercising that muscle.
0: Yeah, so I think one thing I kind of want to go back to a little uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have is um, the concept of a right answer. Because I think students are anxious about writing, and they are anxious about getting a grade, and they are anxious about finding that right answer. So how do you how do you articulate to your students um how to identify when they have a valid analysis or or how would you describe um the criteria for a valid analysis? I know a big question. I don't want to ask the easy ones.
2: <laughs> I I that is that is a hard question. I think I go back to what um I think it more, I say to them, cause there's, I'm like, there's really no kind of wrong answer if you have the evidence to support it. So if you can point us to the observations that you made that prove your analysis, then it's strong analysis. If you're struggling to point out those observations and identify those things and give us examples, then maybe your analysis isn't strong. So it's, and, and this kind of goes into a little bit of paragraph structure where they ask me how many examples do I need in a paragraph? And I'm like, well, if you can only find one, maybe that assertion's really kind of either easy, too easy to prove. So it's maybe not even really a strong assertion, um, you know, or maybe it's not a, you know, a solid assertion in the first place. So I'm kind of one of those that says, if you can provide the evidence, if if you can provide the support, then that's valid. Um, whether or not I agree with you, you know, it's kind of that point doesn't matter because if you can prove it to me by showing me the evidence and saying it happens here and here and here and here and here, then I go, Ooh, okay, valid point, you know?
1: I was just having a conversation with a student earlier today where I asked because the given paragraph, it was exactly what Bill was talking about where the middle was missing. Like, so they had a beautifully worded topic sentence and they arrived at a conclusion about, and it was an analysis piece, um, and they didn't explain how they got there. Um, and it's not like you have to step by step it, but some thinking of like, okay, this is why this is this, you know, like and I, it's, it's hard to like articulate into like a really well-formed, um, thing, but it's just like, it is more that explanation or that, um, sort of engagement, like where I'm like, I can see the thinking happening here, like that, it feels more like, okay, so I wouldn't have necessarily thought that. But now, like you've provided both evidence and the thinking for how this could work, right. Like so even if it's not perfect, I just feel like that <laughs> that that effort is like, oh, good. you know, like that's you know you're you're thinking through this, right? Like I see that. Um, and so for me, that that leads to valid analysis, like where you know, I'm like, oh, Okay, that's a good point. You know, like, and I understand and can follow as a reader, like, how you got there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm in in total agreement. It, it's to me, there is no wrong answer so long as you can defend it. Uh, And, and I've had students who like come to me with a, a thesis and I'm like, sure, try it. And then they can only find like two examples in the whole text that sort of support their thesis. And I'm like, okay, you might need to rethink that. Number one, it could be that it's simply too self evident, right? um most observations are valid observations but but they're of different qualities and some are are largely self-evident which means that you're going to struggle to explain it because you're like sky is blue yes statement of fact self-evident i don't think anyone's going to argue with you nicely done now what um how do you explain your reasoning well i looked at this guy and it was blue i'm like and this an analysis does not make um So, yeah, can you can you find support for your assertions? Is it logically consistent? And then just explain to your reader. um, Don't even if it seems self-evident to you, don't assume it's self-evident to your reader. Take the time to explain how you arrived at your conclusion. And even if it starts out as narrating your process's discovery, which this is something I talk to my students about all the time, even if it starts out with, okay, so I saw this quote in the book and he was talking about the difference between like reality and and hyper-reality. And it made me think of this part of the Matrix movie, which then let me, like if you start there, that's fine, right? Because at least you are figuring out for yourself how you arrived at that conclusion. And then when you revise for an audience, that's where you go back and you start taking out all those I statements and you say, this means this, and this is how we arrive at that conclusion, so. Uh, I think this is a a good point to to wrap this episode up because um, I, I feel like we've made our point about show your work. <laughs> uh, are there any uh, go backs or like final thoughts before we close this one out?
2: I think just kind of the reminder that that um, you know it's it's okay to give an assertion a shot. You know, don't don't be hesitant to make that assertion. Don't be hesitant to make that statement of analysis. Um, if you feel like that's going in the direction you want, and then once you start to include the evidence and like you are saying, you know, that's where you kind of prove it. And if you realize, oh, actually maybe this isn't really the best analysis I've got, you know, then, then that's kind of part of the process. It's, you know, you're not going to come up with it. Like I've had many times where my conclusions, my analysis may not have been strong, um, you know, in the first go and that's, that's okay. You know, just take that chance be assertive and then find that evidence, you know, use those observations as your, as your support. And, you know, you'll with practice, you know, you'll kind of get used to kind of that, that method.
0: Yeah. it's great advice. Own your argument. Say, I argue. Don't, don't say one might argue. No, no, no. You're the one I argue. All right. That feels like a great place to end this episode. I want to thank uh, Carrie and Jeanette for talking through this really challenging topic with me. I feel like we've just looking at my notes, we've just barely scratched the surface. I feel like this could be like five more episodes because there's so many other things I wanted to mention, but um, I, I don't want these to run too long. So thanks for tuning in this week. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button, share this with all your friends and just get writing.